Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Six Pixels Under. I am Nerd Slayer, your host. And this is Monday, the 8th of October, which is also, as I'm told by one of my loyal patrons, Canadian uh, Thanksgiving. So happy Canadian Thanksgiving to the uh, Canadians from Canada. Our wishes go out to you. On this week's podcast, we will be talking about a couple uh, very juicy leaks. First being uh, the third-person Harry Potter game that was leaked. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Telltale remaining or laying off the remaining skeleton crew. We'll talk about Skybound Games showing up and saying that they'll take over publishing for the most recent Walking Dead game. So maybe Telltale's not completely done yet, which is problematic because my video is like basically coming out throughout the entire process of this. We'll talk about Red Dead Redemption 2's new gameplay. We'll talk about X4 Foundations, which we talked about a little bit post-stream uh, last week. And, of course, we've got a counterpoint segment for this week. We've got MMOs on the go. We've got a From the Vault section. We've got some more soapbox time. And then, finally, at the very end of the show, we have the call-in segment, where you can give me your hot takes, you can give me your questions, and uh, you can react on any of the things that we've discussed during the actual podcast. The place to do that, of course is either in Discord, you can speak with... Currently, right now, we have both um, Doom, Black Dragon, and Card sitting in the podcast lobby, so they'll take your questions or figure out, please give lower-quality video options. Unfortunately, I can't because I'm not a partner, so we'll have to fix that problem. Somebody in chat was just asking about that. So we can save the questions for the very end. Also, on Twitch, you can at me, at NerdSlayer, and uh, hit me up uh, with any of your questions for the final segment but um let's go ahead and get into the current gaming news uh topic section which of course is our first section okay so for this week the biggest things i want to talk about uh we're going to start off with some gameplay footage of a leaked harry potter game and i actually am more excited for this than i feel like i should be to some extent but i have been asking for a harry potter game for ages now if you, if you guys haven't seen the gameplay, I'm going to go ahead and link it in chat. Sorry about that, uh, Keevan. Unfortunately, I can't lower the quality. Like, I have to be partnered, so we got to get us partnered first. <laughs> anyway, um, I linked the gameplay in chat for those who are interested. So this was leaked to be a third-person Harry Potter game. I've heard personally that the game is titled, uh, I think it was like... Harry Potter Magic Awakening or something. It take you take the uh, role of a fifth year student, so basically somebody who's near the end of their term at Hogwarts. You get the ability to choose which school you want to be a part of, and uh, as you can tell from like the grainy gameplay, that's like obviously leaked gameplay. You have some spells that you can cast. It's third person. It it obviously looks very mature. Um, man, I wish this quality was better. But it looks very mature. We've got some destructible environment there. We see a goblin getting, like, stabbed, which we don't see that kind of brutality in the Harry Potter universe. I personally have been wondering why we haven't seen more Harry Potter games. And I don't just mean movie games or, or movie adaptations. I mean, like, actual full-fledged games that we see from the Lord of the Rings universe. I think it looks awesome. I believe someone did a write-up concerning what the actual details of the video were. And I just basically gave like the Sparknote rendition, which is that 
it's going to be a fifth year student. You somehow discovered magic later in your life. You're thrown into this scenario where you're having to deal with like uncovering some type of magic kind of gives like the Horcrux vibes for people who follow the Harry Potter universe. So it'll be interesting to see more details about that from apparently they're saying that Rocksteady isn't the person behind the game. Rocksteady is the company that made uh, Batman. I'll go ahead and put that article on screen. The article itself states that Rocksteady isn't the one making the Harry Potter game. So that's, yeah, we have no other details at this point. We know Warner Brothers filed a a copyright claim, so we know it's definitely legit. (laughs) Because you're not going to get Daddy Warner Brothers to come in and and have to slap people around if it's not some type of serious thing. If you're an affiliate, you can get quality options. Just start, just stop restart stream until they show up. It's a cheap way to do it, but it works. Wow, that's pretty hilarious. I, I had no clue that they uh, allowed you to kind of get past that in some kind of way. Probably because every try failed. Has there really been a lot of tries though? It's been mainly mobile games, mainly knowledge games. And a lot of movie-based games, but they haven't actually released like fully based and fully supported Harry Potter games. I don't know if like we can say that the Harry Potter games have been bad, but I think that's more so just because they've been limited in their execution and certainly haven't had the budget that a Harry Potter game would need if it's going to be done particularly well. For the next little bit of news, we have uh, a Reddit article. Somebody linked this on Reddit. So apparently Telltale Games had to lay off the remaining skeleton crew that was working on... uh, That was working on the Walking Dead game. For some reason, my link doesn't want to load. Hmm. Anyway, there was a tweet that was let out. Apparently, uh, one of the developers who was working for Telltale was laid off. So people think that all of it was laid off. Rumors actually say that not all of it was laid out. And then, of course, since this whole story is developing under underneath us, of course, after I do the video, all of this comes out. You can tell I'm a little bit salty about that. But <laughs> So Skybound Games, which is actually a subsidiary of uh, Robert Kirkman's, which is the creator of the Walking Dead uh, franchise. Skybound Games is going to announce that they're apparently they're announcing that they've reached a deal with Telltale that will allow them to continue the final season of Walking Dead, which actually like uh, from the critic perspective and also audience perspective wasn't doing that bad. It just wasn't doing good enough to save Telltale from essentially their uh, imminent bankruptcy, I guess we should say. That's pretty much all I have to say about that because I have a whole video planned on that, but I did want to kind of catch everybody up who's been following the story or who's been listening to the podcast. We've been kind of following the story. I also wanted to show a little bit of the gameplay from Red Dead Redemption 2 and give kind of like a reaction. Now, one thing I'll say about this so far from viewing it is I'm getting old school Red Dead revolver vibes. It seems like they're focusing a lot more on slow time, uh, slowing down time or quick time, quick draw time, whatever you'd like to call it. It also seems like And I know this is the vibe that typically Rockstar likes to give with their trailers, but there's a lot of attention to detail. And what I mean here, as somebody who's from Texas, who's been around cowboys and has been around uh, firearms such as this and belts such as this, yes, they still exist to some extent. I really like the attention to detail in this shot. You see the veins, the musculature of the arm, 
you see the hair, you see the bullets, right? There's dirt. There's it. Obviously, he's he's from the Wild West. He's not going to be a pretty looking dude in terms of his like attire. It's going to be kind of worn and stained. And you you see little like markings here. You've got a flower that clearly this hoister means something to him. You've got a little like looks like a a knight emblem or something like that. Just little things like that. I like to pick up when I watch a trailer. Of course, this is a very authentic seeming experience is kind of what I'm trying to say. They're really, it, it seems like they're really trying to let you know, like, hey, you're going to feel like you're a cowboy, uh, especially, you know, in another age. You're going to feel like you're in the 1800s playing a cowboy, which is definitely how I feel from watching this trailer. You've got some herding of cattle. You've got messing around on train tracks. You've got, uh, of course, gun battles, fishing. You've got playing uh, poker. I think it might have been 21. I wasn't entirely sure. You're dancing at parties late at night. They're really going all out on this. And again, these could just be your typical activities that you expect from Rockstar. But whether or not they are or aren't, I think that they're doing a really good job from a marketing standpoint of communicating the type of vibe that they want to communicate. And that's essentially that this is a gritty, beat 'em up, shoot 'em up Western tale in which you play, you know, the the character of this epic, basically. Which is kind of like that weird perspective of like you're a part of this epic tale, but you're kind of like the average Joe to some extent. Uh, Rockstar has always been a fan, I think, of telling that kind of story. But yeah, just a little bit of a reaction to the gameplay. I thought everybody was speaking quite favorably. Obviously, I heard some complaints about the uh, FPS. But I mean, we kind of expect that. We don't know how much of this is actual gameplay these days since everything typically has a preface as to saying it's not actual gameplay. <laughs> Um, apparently it's over 100 gigabytes somebody in chat says wow that's insane I also think the animation is amazing as well no PC version does certainly make me feel bad about the whole thing are you going to talk about the Amazon MMO that got linked uh, <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that later MGPT thanks for bringing that up okay and the final point of our current gaming news topic uh, section is going to be X4 Foundations Somebody in chat, I'm sorry if I can't remember exactly who it was, but we, we had multiple conversations considering this in Discord, so I've kind of at this point forgot. But there's been some gameplay shown uh, by the team behind uh, X4 Foundation. So I always forget their name, but I believe they have kind of like a strange name, uh, the developers do. Is it egosoft is what it is i remember it, it i thought it was eggsoft i was about to call it eggsoft and you guys were going to sit up here and laugh at me anyway <laughs> x4 foundations for those who haven't followed the x uh series the x terran series whatever you'd like to call them uh x terran uh conflict which was x3 was probably their best received game they then released uh x re x3 rebirth which was kind of like a a 3.5 version of the game. It wasn't an actual full-fledged sequel, as you see in the title here. X4 Foundations is an actual sequel. X3 uh, Rebirth was met with kind of mixed reviews because it was clear that Egosoft was attempting to try and get involved in the whole on-the-ground aspects of games. They wanted you to be able to walk around in your cop cockpit and walk around on station. But the problem with that was that, obviously, of course, it ended up coming off as nothing more than a gimmick which EVE Online kind of faced that same issue. But it looks like they're doubling down on this. With X4 Foundations and the gameplay that was showed so far, it looks like they're essentially making it to where not only can you run around on your cockpit 
and and see your entire ship you can actually run around and interact with people and trade on stations and even buy and fly a totally different variety of ships that was the other problem with x3 rebirth is that you actually only could fly one ship so that's that's those, those are a bunch of things that they're trying to fix with this they're also of course making ships customizable again since now you can pilot every ship you can also uh change the way that you fly certain ships certainly x4 foundations is for those space sim fans out there who really like getting involved in things and maybe for the people who uh eve doesn't cut it uh like for me <laughs> personally speaking eve doesn't really cut my it doesn't really um quench my space sim thirst so i'm really looking forward to this it comes out uh next month i believe it's the end of november or beginning or sorry end of no- october off the top of my head i believe it's the end of november you guys are gonna laugh at how uh I don't remember this stuff. November 30th is what they said. It's kind of weird that they don't put it in the description or in the title, but in typical EgoSoft way, like a budget dev, they they put it in the comments and don't even pin it. (laughs) Sorry, EgoSoft, just poking fun. But it looks awesome. Of course, as with most X games, we're going to expect a lot of bugs, (laughs) a shaky launch. So for those who are unsure if they could they should get involved in this project i would wait maybe a month wait till the reviews come out uh see if people are complaining about performance issues bugs and that sort of thing but after the initial problems get fixed which they always do uh i would say just about always do with egosoft they're pretty dedicated to their titles it should definitely be worth revisiting at that point the x games is that what they call it the x games you think it's more for an empire builder? Fair enough. I, I guess Eve is kind of more for an empire builder as uh, empire builder as well. It will have bugs, one hundred percent guaranteed. I think at this point we kind of have to <laughs> assume that, right? Eve is a data management sim, not a space sim. That's a good point. All right, so I'll go ahead and move into our next segment of the podcast, which is going to be our counterpoint segment. That's where I play devil's advocate to a prominent gaming issue, or at least devil's advocate as far as I can tell, because ultimately, of course, I don't know if something is devil's advocate uh, in the end, which is kind of the funny thing about the segment, but I'll go ahead and play our little intro. All right, so for those people who don't watch this thing live and don't watch the video, they're probably always like, why does it randomly get quiet at those points? Well, guys, that's because we're playing a little bit of a transitions right we're doing professional podcasting here boys and we're doing it live all right so we're putting counterpoint on screen so my counterpoint for this week is actually going to really get some people up in their feels in regards to how they feel about classic games my point for this week i'm going to show you guys a trailer in chat uh it's 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 from the skywind uh modding team of course skywind for those who don't know is the skyrim of reboot of the Morrowind game so it's basically like Morrowind with the Skyrim engine I actually wanted to show this and I guess I could show it a bit on screen just for a little bit of effect here but I really wanted to show off this trailer because it got me thinking about a prominent issue I see in regards to how people address classic games or games they consider to be classics in the genre and the problems that I find with these classic games is that oftentimes The idea or the thought or the enjoyment of such a game, I would have to wager at this point, is probably half of the time based on the fact that it's nostalgia 
or the feelings that they felt at the time that they played the game. And I can personally attest to this myself. Let me jump back in the, in the trailer here a little bit. I brought this up with Skywind because as a classic Morrowind fan, um, a fan who you know really loves the game of Morrowind, I've beat it at least three different times and I've heavily modded it. I've played it unmodded. I've played it on console. I've played it on PC. Long story short, short it's my favorite uh, Elder Scrolls game at this point. But as many people have said with this whole Skywind project, is ultimately they've made the point that, well, are they going to be able to establish the same kind of atmosphere that they previously uh, were able to do with Morrowind? And the truth is, is although in many respects, in, in terms of actual gameplay, we can certainly say that they could do that. The unfortunate truth is that at this point, sorry about that, at this point, I don't think they can. And that's kind of the point that I want to make on Counterpoint today. Is ultimately speaking, when it comes to nostalgia and feelings and the way that you think about previous projects, I don't know if we're ever going to really recover those kinds of feelings. Or if we ever really can. Or if we're really meant to. It's kind of like the argument of um, Star Wars Galaxies pre-CU, right? I talked about in my video on Galaxies, if you guys haven't seen it, about the rose-tinted glasses that people suffer from. And that's especially true in the MMORPG genre for a reason that I'll mention later on my soapbox, which is our topic of the week uh, in regards to... It's related to the topic. I don't want to spoil my premise yet. But ultimately speaking, the point is, is that no matter how much you want a game or a genre to be like it was, from a gameplay perspective, that's likely not going to happen, right? Because in most cases, gameplay... Uh, innovates and always expands and kind of improves. Now, I know there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, in the case of Morrowind, it's a good example, right? The, the gameplay in Morrowind is so bad in current standards that it's likely not going to be very easy to bottle up and sell to a new fan of Elder Scrolls who maybe has only ever played Skyrim, right? It's hard to package that Morrowind experience up because of the gameplay. But with a project like Skywind, right, that's kind of what it's trying to accomplish. Like, it's trying to accomplish this idea of Skyrim's uh, rendition of Morrowind. But the problem is, ultimately, nostalgia is just too powerful of a feeling to ever really be totally eradicated or overcome. And when we think about our favorite MMORPGs, to, to, to bring the topic to MMORPGs, in the end, these old-school MMOs won't ever be the same. We won't ever have the same exact experience that we used to have in MMORPGs. But guess what? That's okay, right? Once you realize that, once you make that amends, and you're not bitter about it, and you're not sad about it, it's okay. It's okay if we don't get that same exact experience we had when we played that first MMORPG, which, coincidentally, you'll find that most people's favorite MMORPGs are, guess what? They're first. <laughs> Because the, the formula is so fresh and new, right? Whenever you encounter the game, that it's so easy for you to get enamored by it. You've never experienced the idea of a virtual world or something close to a virtual world and meeting people across the world and um, interacting with them and getting to build your city and all of these sort of things. It's just um, my main point on Counterpoint today is that we've got to get rid of our nostalgic feelings if we want to rationally look at games from a historic perspective, a historical perspective, right? Because Morrowind head-to-head -head with Skyrim today is going to lose in a lot of very obvious ways, right? Graphics, 
gameplay. Probably um, sound design, that sort of thing. Very obvious ways, right? The most obvious ways that you can see with your eyes. But in order for us to look back and make the claim, if Skyrim, for example, is a better game than Morrowind, we have to look at it from a, a historical perspective. But the problems of doing that and the problems you find with a lot of historical channels is they get caught so much in the nostalgia loop where it's like you feel so much nostalgia for a title, you can't accurately explain why you like something. You can only really say that you liked it because you remember your feelings or thoughts at the time. And uh, the reason why I made the Star Wars Galaxies videos to wrap this all up in a bow. The reason why I made the Star Wars Galaxies video, well, funny enough, is because my girlfriend asked me one day. Why did Star Wars Galaxies fail? And I remember just sitting around just thinking to myself, why did it fail? I was there for basically the whole thing. Like, how, how did this great MMORPG, one of the best sandboxes of all time, one of the best crafting systems of all time, how did it fail? And that's kind of what created the whole Death of a Game series. And what I realized from doing my Death of a Game series is that no matter how much you try and explain things from historical perspectives, from technical perspectives from business perspectives from basically a bunch of different perspectives not gaming in the end you all reach the same hurdle which is that for some people the nostalgia is just too great right and what i mean by that is that if if you try and point out flaws or problems in an old school in an old school mmorpg for some fans they're just not willing to hear that because they want to remember the game vividly and and proudly and happily based on the experiences that they had. And those experiences are very real and certainly uh, shape their experience uh, with that game. But not everybody has that same experience. So that's why it's like very hard for somebody like me who talks about MMORPGs and certainly talks about them in a retrospective way. It's hard to have a rational discussion about if that game really was that good or is it just everyone's like remembrance of it being that good? Because again, I love bringing up Star Wars Galaxies because for people who don't remember, go back and play Star Wars Galaxies Pre-CU, you can play it right now on the SGMU server, swgemu.com, I believe is the website still. Try and play it, and you guys will find just like I did when I, try and, uh, and when I tried to go back to Pre-CU and play. And it's like, man, it feels dated. That combat system feels so dated. The UI feels so dated. The three uh, pools of stats feels very dated and arbitrary in many ways. It still has some of the same gameplay design uh, issues and 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 technical not not technical issues. Sorry, uh, I should say from a gameplay perspective issues like mind spam, like blind spam, which are oddly enough rhyme and both serious issues in uh, pre CU Star Wars Galaxies. Anyway, that's the end of my point and counterpoint. I, let's transition into our next segment, which is MMOs on the go. And so for the MMOs on the go section, it's going to be very WoW-centric today. So forgive me for that, uh, for people who don't very much enjoy WoW. <laughs> but it's going to be very WoW-centric today. On MMOs on the go today, I wanted to talk about a little bit of conspiracy theories, right? On previous podcasts, you guys have heard me made statements about I don't believe World of Warcraft, or sorry, Blizzard in this case, is willing to completely forego the market or give up on the market. I believe that they're planning something big, possibly another MMO. That's kind of been my whole conspiracy theory. Well, guess what? Conspiracy theories are becoming more and more real. And sure, for, for some people, 
who picked up on this. To some extent, this could be a confirmation bias. But in particular, what I'm talking about is that the WoW executive producer has now taken over as president for Blizzard. Now, let me go ahead and put that on screen for sometimes it's if I just talk about things and don't show you guys on screen, it's kind of like, are you actually telling the truth? But MMO Champion posted this article. Uh, or actually, it's just a blue post from Mike uh, Morhaime, who apparently is the uh, new, I, I guess it's, is it the new? No, he was the previous one. Now they've moved to the new one, right? I, I always forget these guys' names. Mike Morhaime is the, is the guy that, the, that just stepped down, right? Yeah, he's, he's the president that just stepped down. Sorry, tricking myself here. Anyway. With a lead executive producer on the project now being in charge of Blizzard, you guys can't help but think, right, that maybe that means that things are going to be WoW-centric, or at least MMORPG-centric to some extent. You can't expect this guy who's been in a serious position at Blizzard working on a massive multiplayer online role-playing game to not have thoughts of massive online role-playing games, right? Now, to build my conspiracy even greater, there is some even cooler conspiracy news that was just released on... uh, uh, Reddit also posted this in their game section. Reddit's cleaning up today. But this was announced at BlizzCon. Apparently, as people are starting to realize, there is going to be two major panels for Diablo. This guy says it best in the comment. The first Diablo panel is right after the opening ceremony, which could mean, theoretically, again, we're on our conspiracy theorist hat here. I'm not wearing my detective hat. I'm wearing the more conspiracy theorist. I'm wearing my Eddie Bravo hat, so to say. But this guy speculates, and I think it's pretty fun and cool speculation, that maybe because it's right after the uh, the opening ceremony, it means that they're going to make a big announcement. The panel is literally titled Diablo. What's next? Now, I know this could be, be a mobile game. <laughs> this could be another Switch game at this point or an N64 game or whatever other console they're trying to port to at this point that they haven't ported to already. I'm looking at you, Skyrim and, and Todd. Can you stop it, Todd? Can you stop selling me, Skyrim? I've already bought it six times, okay? I don't want to buy Skyrim anymore. Uh, but what do you guys think? Am I crazy? Is my conspiracy theory uh, warranted in some kind of way? Sorry, I keep doing that. I'm curious what everyone's thinking about that. Jay Allen is the new one. Okay, that's what I figured. I'm terrible with names, so I always get uh, people mixed up. Hence why I write everything down when I make videos. (laughs) Todd will stop when you stop buying. (laughs) I mean, it's true at this point. (coughs) Excuse me. Could you imagine a console port of WoW? I could not. They'd have to squish the abilities even further than they're currently squished. Which reminds me, this is a very WoW week, as I will also be making a video as to why I don't play WoW. Uh, more specifically, their most recent expansion, Beta for Azer- Battle for Azeroth. Just kidding, guys. But seriously, anybody else smelling what I'm smelling? A little bit of conspiracy theory? Maybe another Diablo game. Maybe a Diablo MMORPG. Dun, dun, dun. We'll see. It'll be fun. And it's certainly fun to speculate about. Now, of course, uh, I'd be crazy if I didn't mention the game that I've 
worked with uh, in the past. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice is dying today. And that uh, is there has been footage of Amazon's new MMO, New World, and this has been leaked. Now, of course, I don't want to talk about leaks, especially leaks that I'm currently under NDA on, right? Like a project like New World. But at this point, I'd be reminisced not to mention the fact that it has been leaked and people have certainly had certain reactions to it. Now, naturally, this has been leaked on Pornhub, where I'm sure many other things have been leaked as well. Literally. This video, it says it was posted online by some dude named Lesson Epic. It shows off some of the combat. It shows off some of the uh, building aspects as well as the crafting aspects. Uh, according to the title of the article, it also shows off the game's map, which I'm not sure why that necessarily means anything worth mentioning, but I, I guess it does to some extent. I'm not going to show the gameplay. If you guys are interested in seeing it yourself and you haven't seen it or have seen it already, by all means, go say it or go see it, react to it. One thing I will remark about, since I don't want to totally sit on the fence in regards to this, is that clearly the game is looking to be very survival-centric. It's kind of looking like a survival MMO to some extent. I think this has kind of angered or annoyed some people's reactions uh, on the whole thing, because in their opinion, they're looking at it from the perspective of, they thought Amazon was going to come in and, and launch this big AAA MMO. And now that everybody's getting to see aspects of it, and they're seeing that, oh, it kind of reminds me of Conan Exiles, or it kind of reminds me of this other survival game, uh, Rust, or whatever else. I think to some extent that's kind of cheapened the experience and, and, and lessened the experience, lessened the hype for some people. I don't think it's fair to say it's going to be some type of like survival clone to some extent. They have said that they want servers that can have as many as 1,000 people, 10,000 people on them. That clearly would qualify them as a massive multiplayer online game. But I also understand the criticism in regards to how it looks awfully like a survival game. And for a market at the moment of 2018, that's unfortunately ripe full with survival games. And not just any survival games, but bad and unfinished survival games. It's easy to understand why people are being a little bit hesitant or kind of lukewarm based on the whole uh, leaked footage thing. Lesser hype is a good thing. Hype is not healthy. Hype ultimately is not healthy, but it's certainly good for your marketing and your business, right? Click on the best sex game that aren't goblins. <laughs> that seems like a good piece of gaming journalism. Well, guys, if you really want to work on your gaming journalism, apparently you need to start going to Pornhub, according to this article. That's where all the best leaks are going to be. All right, so our last bit of MMO news, or our MMOs on the go segment, is going to be uh, Legends of Aria announcing that they will be launching in early access coming this uh, December. And the interesting thing about Legends of Aria, I'll play the trailer on screen for you guys. The interesting thing about Legends of Aria, for those who haven't followed the game, is in many ways it kind of reminds me of Albion's most recent launch. It has that very survival, sorry, very sandbox feel to it, very open-ended feel. But actually, Albion's kind of a bad example. And the reason why it's a bad example is many people are naming Legends of Aria as being a spiritual successor to Ultima Online. Many people, as you can probably tell from watching the gameplay on screen, have said that the gameplay is awfully like what Ultima Online would have played if it was released as a sequel, to some extent. 
So there's a lot of hype around the game from the diehard Ultima Online fans because they think that this is going to be better, um, if not a similar experience that they've been experiencing in Ultima Online for the past 20-whatever years at this point. I personally have been very hesitant to even try the game out, and that's been primarily because the gameplay has looked a little bit lackluster. Now, the trailer on screen certainly makes everything look a little bit better. In fact, it, look, it makes combat look somewhat similar to like a typical CRPG game to some extent, like maybe Pillars of Eternity, Pathfinder, that kind of thing. And certainly they've upped the visuals and upped the zones. It looks like they're trying to add a lot more content than they've previously had in the game since it has been player, playable Sorry for founders of the uh, alpha. But I don't know. What's everyone's thought about this project? Is there any room for this kind of game in today's current marketplace? Do you believe that an Ultima Online successor at this point can even have some level of success? And since we already have some barometer in the sense uh, or in the uh, aspect of or sorry, um, Albion Online's recent launch, we have a bit of a barometer, meaning that Albion, surely it's not doing amazing on Steam by any uh, stretch of the imagination or amazing in general. But for a sandbox game, it's doing relatively well, which I know is a sad state of affairs when uh, the Paragon <laughs> sandbox game <laughs> in the market of MMOs is Albion Online. Uh, sorry, Albion Online fans. I've obviously clearly shown that I'm not the biggest fan of the game, though I've certainly tried to be. I will definitely try this game come early access launch. I'm hoping for the best. But as we have all grown accustomed to at this point with MMOs, you got to wait till you can play the game. And you got to wait even at that point for another month or two after the game launches to really know if it's going to be kind of what was advertised or whatever else. All right, that's the end of the MMOs on the go segment. Did anybody have any reactions about that? Let me go through chat and read. I play indie MMOs that have a big element of survival on it which some people use as immediate into the trash that goes. They start a development. Oh, okay. Ultima Online Mad Bartender. Haven't heard of the story. This does look a little bit like RuneScape. I should have brought that up as an example too. Shadow of the Avatar is more of an Ultima Online spiritual successor. I mean, from the sense that it's created by the same creator, but I think many people would probably argue at this point, Shadow of the Avatar isn't doing so well and certainly doesn't have good press. <laughs> Based on the whole, like, Pay to win scandals that people have been talking about and the leaking of information and credit card information. Yeah, they've had a lot of drama. All right, so I'll go ahead and move into our next segment, which is from the vault. This is the section where I talk about a previous game that maybe came out 10 years, 20 years ago. Who knows how long ago, but it's probably mostly forgotten at this point. So it's coming from the vault and I'm going to talk a little bit about its importance and why it was relevant to some extent. For this week's From the Vault, we're going to talk about a relatively unknown Korean MMO. And that MMO is uh, Fly for Fun, or Fly FF. I've seen a couple people mention this to me, and yes, I have been reading your mentions. I have heard of Fly FF, and I do uh, remember playing the game way back when. And now this might seem like a random game for me to mention on From the Vault section. For some people, because they're certainly thinking to themselves, uh, what's significant about this game, right? It looks kind of like an old school Korean game, right? This game came out in 2004. It focused on group content, much like uh, Final Fantasy XI. But to me, the coolest and most unique thing about Fly for Fun was, well, flying. You could actually traverse the map by flying vertically. And now, 
uh, in this video, they're not going to show basically what I'm trying to illustrate. But the reason why I thought Fly for Fun was such a cool game and is still relevant in some ways in regards to maybe what the future of MMOs could hold for us, because to look to the future, sometimes you got to look at the past. It's that the idea of traversing a map vertically, that's still something that hasn't been entirely explored. Now, everybody can probably point out Ion, uh, or Aeon, as some people would uh, describe the game. A Korean game that came out, I believe, in 2007 or 2009. And Ion certainly had a lot of hype around it and was a big title. It sold, I think, over a million copies and then kind of petered out of... Sorry about that. I hit my mic. It petered out of its existence to some extent. But everybody can vividly remember the ideas of flying in that game and how fun it was to fly and how it affected gameplay to some extent. Well, Fly for Fun was doing that back in 2004. And I think that's really cool to mention and certainly worthwhile mentioning it also begs the question for me, why haven't we seen more vertical uh, traversing of maps in MMORPGs? If we're having issues of making a map bigger for a plethora of reasons, resources, engine limitations, whatever else, why haven't we ever just tried instead of building this way, building this way, right? It's, it's interesting to think about. And this is obviously something as human beings we are quite familiar with because human beings uh, will build... 100-story buildings uh, that are apartment complexes, right? Or a 40-story apartment complex. And so whenever we're met with issues of real estate, right, and building outward, we start building upward. But in MMOs, in regards to traversing maps and trying to run around these maps and, and, and maybe create settlements or have cities and, and quests and that sort of thing, we don't really go this way yet. So it's a bit interesting to think about. We're we're vertically challenged, I guess you could say, <laughs> as the MMORPG community. Yeah, we are a very vertically challenged industry. I forgot to change my little title from MMOs on the go to From the Vault, by the way. So sorry about that. I know everybody hates me for that. Just kidding. Most people probably didn't even notice. Oh, let me also put myself on the podcast channel. <clears throat> Remember, if you have any comments or responses to any of the stuff that I'm talking about currently, you can feel free to join the podcast lobby channel and talk with Card or Doom Black Dragon and set up a possible uh, chat with me. And of course, we're going to talk at the end of the uh, podcast at the call-in segment. But uh, right now, we're going to get into the soapbox time, which is, of course, my favorite segment. I love to rant about things soapy. Or MMOs in this case. So the topic for soapbox that we wanted to talk about... Um, as a community for this week is going to be the MMORPG genre is probably the slowest market in regards to innovation. If you compare it to the RPG market, if you compare it to a shooter, mar any other type of game genre at this point, I think we can safely say that the MMORPG market is just so slow. It feels like a snail's pace in comparison. It's 2018, and many, many, many MMOs still launch with the same sort of class systems, the same class templates, the same tab target systems, the same, you know, barren, boring leveling experiences, the same mentality of in-game is the only game. It's, it's very frustrating, and I think as a community, we all feel this. It's a bit of exhaustion from the market as a whole, right? 2018, we can't really say that the MMORPG market genre as a whole has really advanced in the kind of way that we've wanted it to advance. 
And now I will chalk some of that up to technical limitations. Clearly, we have a lot of technical limitations that other genres possibly don't have to deal with, right? Like a shooter might only have 64 people in a game or 16 people in a game or maybe even just 10 if you're doing 5 on 5 or 12 if you're doing 6 on 6. They don't have a lot of uh, precautions or worries about big server loads or, or, or having to launch with enough servers so you don't get... Uh, wait times whenever you log in, that sort of thing, right? The technical problems and server problems that an MMORPG has to deal with, right? And and that really, at the end of the day, is because the MMORPG genre is probably the most riskiest, right? I think we have to say that at this point. In order to make a good MMO in today's current day and age, you need millions. I mean, unless someone can show a different example, I believe Project Gorgon, it might be one of the exceptions. It had about six figures of a budget. And uh, has done decently well on Steam based on its reviews and whatever else. But as a whole, most of the Kickstarter MMOs at this point are in the multi-millions of budget, uh, dollars of budget, right? They kind of have to be in order to pay for ser server infrastructure, in order to pay for maybe uh, licensing an engine or creating an engine. Obviously, they have to pay their workers, even if they're pre-revenue in most cases. Uh, of course, if they offer founder packs, that's probably how they... Uh, can deal with uh, the fact that they're pre-revenue to some extent or haven't launched their product yet. Point being, in order to make a good MMORPG, you have to be sure not to make too many risky choices in game design, right? Because by taking too many risks, you essentially guarantee that your game's going to at least fail on one, two, however many risks you make. Let's say you make uh, three major risky... Uh, game design choices, gameplay, graphics, and let's just say PvP, right? Well, those are three risky decisions that you have made in certain game design elements that now put entire or put your entire project at risk, right? When one aspect is bad or not good enough or completely falls flat on its face whenever it's implemented, it can really hurt the rest of the game, especially when you take into consideration the scale of an MMORPG, I mean, think about it. I love bringing up Tortanic as the example, right? Everybody loves to talk about SWOTOR. SWOTOR had a $200 million budget. Apparently, $100 million of that was based on, like, again, these are rumors, but was based on the actual, like, voice part of the uh, game. The voice acting apparently cost and took innumerable amounts of resources to pull off. And it was a cool thing, and I certainly think we can all say that the story in SWOTOR as a whole, if you're going to uh, outweigh the best with the bad, is pretty good, right? It's not KOTOR 1, it's not KOTOR 2 quality, but it's pretty good. But ultimately, those aspects didn't really work for the game, right? And what I mean by that is that that wasn't a big enough selling point for them to have a million subs, two million subs, three million subs to, to compete with WoW, to compete with really any other MMORPG at the moment because they're not really competing with them, right? They, they have such a minuscule existence in comparison. And, and, and SWOTOR to me is a perfect example of when you make, a, when you take such a risk of trying to make narrative and storytelling the focus of your game, they had to compromise in many ways. That's kind of why the combat is like, eh. The hero engine is, eh, right? The PvP is <laughs> lag city, right? 
the raids were broken for the longest time and they haven't implemented new content in regards to raids in some time now. Point being, when, you, when, when a developer or a company has their vision or has their plan, let's say they say, I want to make a Lord of the Rings MMORPG, right? That's the plan that they, that's the vision that they want to carry out. They want to carry out a massive, expansive, sandbox, open-ended game. They want all of these different features for players to interact with each other, role, player, uh, role players, uh, immersive aspects, all of these sorts of things, right? Well, that company in this question, uh, let's use this as an example. That company has a bunch of limitations and also has a bunch of uh, technical uh, things that they must overcome first, right? They have to choose their engine or create their engine. We've seen many people struggle in the MMORPG realm in re regards to creating their engine. Fallen Earth is a big example. They've had tremendous issues with their homebrew engine. Darkfall has had tremendous issues with their homebrew engine. Of course, everybody likes to bring up uh, SWOTOR in regards to the Hero Engine. Hero Engine gave that game innumerable amounts of problems. And frankly, at this point, is damaged goods. The vessel itself is damaged. So that's probably why we'll never get that great gameplay experience or PvP experience in SWOTOR. It's because the vessel is just not good enough for that, right? So back to my little example. This company has, a, has these limitations they have to take into consideration. If they want to push the envelope graphic-wise... They have to make other concessions, right? They have to make sure that they don't alienate the people who can't play their game at the highest settings or even medium settings, right? That's an important... Uh, that's an important thing that they have to watch out for, right? There's a risk there. If they make the game too graphically focused, that can make it to where essentially uh, most people can't play their game, right? This was a problem that EverQuest 2 ran into whenever it went head-to-head -head with Classic WoW. Classic WoW was much more accessible in many ways. And ultimately, graphically speaking, that was a significant reason that WoW did so well successfully, right? That's why WoW was so successful in large part was due to its polish, right? But polish costs time and money and resources, right? And as we've noticed at this point, MMORPGs kind of always get rushed, right? Unfortunately. And that's because... They are such a burn on, on a company and people's resources. They can't sit and brew an MMORPG for five years like WoW did, right? They can't afford to do that. These days, MMORPGs are launching in early access after the third year, fourth year, right? They're pushing out products sooner and sooner and sooner to meet, you know, greater expectations from the audience, especially the, MMR, the MMORPG audience at this point, who's quite desperate, right? I think we can say as a whole, as a genre, we're kind of desperate. It's why we tolerate a lot of these bad games. It's why we tolerate games like Bless or try and play Bless online, even after all of its issues. We're kind of, um, it's Stockholm Syndrome to some point at this point, I feel like with the MMORPG market. But back to my point uh, that I wanted to make. The MMORPG market as a whole is slow in regards to its innovations because it just has a lot more precautions and a, and a lot greater stakes than these other games do, right? Think about it. We've had WoW exist for now 15 years, right? 15, 14, 15 years at this point. It's been the king of MMOs for basically as long as we can remember, right? It's been on top since that point. Um, and it likely will still be on top for the foreseeable future, right? Just because it has such a stranglehold 
on the market as a whole. Now, of course, we have other big players, Final Fantasy XIV, we have Elder Scrolls Online, we also have Guild Wars 2. These are other big players in the space, but neither of them really offer any big innovations, right? I think we can, I think we can safely say that. What big innovations have Guild Wars 2 really implemented? Life story? That's been around, right? Sure, I guess maybe to the, to the level and stature that, that Guild Wars has been able to accomplish, or ArenaNet, rather. That's a little bit unique. But as a whole, I mean, what are these what are these aforementioned games really offering that's innovative, that's different, that's pushing the market forward? Not a whole lot. And I don't really blame them, right? Because these established IPs who want to make an MMORPG, are they going to take the risk of being a very risky title, right? Are they going to add, for example, a controversial uh, feature such as uh, full loot in their game? Or are they going to add a controversial feature such as, like, at this point, it's controversial, difficult leveling experiences, right? Are they going to offer those? No, they're not. Because it's going to alienate part of their audience. And when a big IP wants to make an MMORPG, they're not going to settle for 100,000 people, right? A niche audience or 10,000 people that maybe Project Gorgon or Darkfall can get away with, right? Those smaller games can get away with 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 10,000 people. But these big established IPs, uh, Final Fantasy, Elder Scrolls, Guild Wars even at this point is established. They're not going to take these big risks, right? It's just not worth it for them. I mean, if you look at both Elder Scrolls and Guild Wars too, uh, and actually, if you look at all three of these titles, isn't that crazy how sometimes your thoughts just piece together last minute and you realize what you're, what's in front of you? If you look at Final Fantasy XIV, Elder Scrolls Online, and Guild Wars 2, they all started as being promises of innovation. Think about that. Guild Wars 2 was one of the most hyped projects we've ever seen. This can be seen based on previous videos, go watch old trailers, read the comments, uh, read old articles, read all the awards that Guild Wars 2 was awarded before it even launched, right? It was promising to be this larger-than-life title. And when it came out, we were all like, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it wasn't, wow, oh my god, it's amazing. It's going to change the entire genre. It's going to push everything forward. Now we're going full scale into developing the next generation of MMOs. That never really happened, right? Safe th we can say the same thing we can say about Final Fantasy. The first Final Fantasy XIV that launched, 1.0 as it's dubbed, was far more difficult. It was basically like an updated version of Final Fantasy XI. And that version, first off, had many issues besides its difficulty and ultimately failed. So they did Realm Reborn, which was basically saying... We're going to make it a lot closer to WoW now, right? Because at that point, they can't take risk anymore. They already took a massive risk with trying to do uh, Final Fantasy XIV 1.0, right? They made such a huge, like they took such a huge risk trying to accomplish that game. So it's like, there's no way that whenever they did a Realm Reborn, that it was going to be anything close to what their original vision was. It wasn't, right? At that point, it's not just about the developer's dreams or wishes or whatever else, right? It's about making money. It's about satisfying their their uh, bottom uh, their bottom line, right? It's about maximizing their return on their investment, right? Their ROI at that point. They can't make those risks anymore. Same thing with Elder Scrolls Online. Isn't that crazy that we can see basically the same scenario repeat itself three times in the three most popular MMOs not named WoW right now? Think about that. 
When Elder Scrolls Online uh, first came out, it had a very lackluster response. And that's because for most people, it wasn't Elder Scrolls or didn't feel like Elder Scrolls. But also because they had a little bit more limitations, I felt like their game was like somewhere between trying to be innovative, but also trying to be like, wow. And so whenever Tamriel Unlimited came out, the big patch that kind of like revitalized Elder Scrolls and brought it to where it is now, which is like a top three, top four player in the world of MMORPGs, Tamriel Unlimited was basically monochromatic unlimited, right? It was taking everything in the game, all the lore, all the factions, all the uh, conflict, and being like, "Mm, we're going to homogenize you all into like the same color now. And that's basically how Elder Scrolls Online feels for me now, right? It just kind of feels like an amalgamation of what it was, or maybe was trying to be at one point, but isn't that anymore. It's just interesting to think about that. And I almost feel like in some ways I owe those developers a uh, apology, because I think they did try to innovate. But when that didn't work, they had to save their game. So they just relied on what was tried and true, uh, ultimately. Did we have anybody that wanted to respond to any of these things that I was saying? I saw somebody in the podcast lobby channel. Uh, the Great Shitmancer. That's a pretty good troll name. Did we have somebody that wanted to comment on this uh, at all? Sorry, I'm talking talking to the boys. No call-ins yet, but I can be game. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll drag you in. Why can't I drag... Okay, I couldn't drag you in for some reason. You're becoming too powerful for me, Card. I just wanted to, uh, for everybody who doesn't know, this is Card, one of my longtime moderators. I wanted to bring him in to get some final thoughts on the topic of the MMORPG genre being so slow in regards to its innovation, or maybe some of the other juicy things that I just said. What do you, what do you have? What, what's, the, what's the rundown? How are we going to finish this? Uh, how are we going to put a bow on this? Let's see... For me, I think when you're looking at the MMO genre as a whole, uh, you got like what we have right now with World of Warcraft. We're looking at a game that's been around for 15 years. It runs on a toaster. Uh, for what it does, it looks good. People are used to it. There's so much content to be had in it. So if you're going to compete with that, then you say, like, ID has to take some really massive risks to stand out completely, but that can fall flat on your face. Because people are like, yeah, but that's not really what we wanted. Because a lot of people also. A lot of players are also like very constrained. Like they, they shout they want change and new things, but then they're not buying it. So that's very risky. On the other hand, a lot of people, when you look at games in general, a lot of focus is being put on the shine. So graphics, your voice acting, high quality music, and gameplay itself often gets left to the wayside. The problem with that is all of those three things, they cost massive amounts of money which makes a project all the more riskier in order for anybody to invest in. Right. Some people said in the chat as well, a single failure in the games industry can sink your entire company. Yep. There's, there, there's no like recovering. Like, I mean, look at how many companies have tanked after their project uh, ceased to exist. I mean, we have Carbine just recently was shut down. Carbine was a long you know, time studio in the uh, space. Obviously, we have big examples in... Um, Unfortunately, like the whole SOE thing, which technically wasn't really shut down, but I mean, most of the dev team, obviously, uh, previous dev teams on the million MMOs that SOE used to have in its stable <laughs> no longer exist. And obviously, of course, we have companies like the indie games, uh, Darkfall and uh, Fallen Earth, 
of course, APB, like a lot of these kind of, I guess, indie companies that just basically were eradicated as soon as their title failed to uh, capitalize on whatever, you know, vision or or success they were trying to capitalize on. It, it's It's brutal. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it this week is really that can we really blame them for not wanting to take risks at this point? From a business perspective, we can't, right? If we're going to separate our art from our business, the business side says that we can't, right? Like, it makes sense that they're going to try and maximize their ROI. They're going to cast the widest net that they can possibly cast to make the most amount of money that they can possibly make. But from an artistic standpoint, goddamn right, we can criticize them. And that's what we will continue to do on this podcast and on all of my uh, content. And that's one thing I think that we need to make abundantly clear for other MMORPG fans. It's like, you can separate business from art, but at the end of the day, art is what's going to push the market forward, right? Art is what's going to make business even more lucrative in the end. It's just that getting to that point, it's like landmines. It's like navigating through landmines, right? It's so difficult for these companies to really risk it all. Art art is the greatest risk you can take because it's such a taste-dependent item. Mm -hmm. And... With any game, any time of thing you're going to do, it's either going to hit right away and you can go, and then you're successful in the games industry. But if it doesn't, you've got a failure. Like a lot of certain art things, like certain movies, now they became popular down the road. You know, we, they become cult classics. And with some games, that also happens. But if it's going to happen to an MMO, it's too late. If you don't get out of the gate running, you're done. Yep. Especially that by first one or two months after the game launches, that's really when you start to realize, like, is this going to do well? Because everybody will crush on an MMO the first week, right? The first two weeks. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. First three weeks. First first month, right? But think about how fast it took for SWOTOR to basically go under, right? They went from... At one point, I think 3 million or 1.4 million subs in the span of like nine months down to like 300,000. I mean, that's just like insane to have that level of failure in that short amount of time. Like you just don't see that in any other genre except, well, <laughs> our very volatile genre. Did you have any thoughts uh, to finish off this topic? Doom Black Dragon, I saw you uh, chatting. Yeah, I also think that some of the problems is that... Uh, you know, you get the suits going in there and they like, well, this is doing well and we want this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a business winning over art. It's kind of like I think the topic that or at least like is the point that Card and I were making to some extent and that uh, I agree with Card's statement. I think that's a good way to end the topic is that. uh Art is the riskiest. <laughs> That's why we're not seeing a whole lot of innovation. Because all the art that we want, all the, um, you know, Star Citizen type games, all of the uh, new updated versions of like old classics like Dark Age of Camelot with Camelot Unchained, like all of these sorts of games that we want to come out, those games are going to be taking some pretty big risks. So it's going to be exciting to watch them, but also scary a little bit for the market as a whole because it's kind of like, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I see another MMO fail, I'm I'm never happy or or like, oh, oh, it failed. I'm I'm more so just like obviously looking at it from the perspective like why did it fail? But also when you see the games that take these very blatant risks, you kind of are like I don't want to say like um biting your tongue to some extent, but you're almost like you're on the edge of your seat just being like, Well, 
I kind of know why it's going to fail if it does fail, right? Because it's right there in front of you. It's the big defining feature of the game. Like for Camelot Unchained, it's it's the idea of factional warfare. For Chronicles of Illyria, it's like the it's like the death feature where you can like make a new character and carry over your legacy experience or whatever. That's like the most polarizing feature, right? Yeah. Crowfall, you've got the factions, you've got the balance faction, uh, you've got the whole lobby-based kind of experience. They all have their little selling point that's unique, and I think it certainly makes the the market as a whole exciting. But all of that is still in deliberation. It's all still in its you know phases of development. And so really, oh. we're like at a standstill at this point, right? Well, another thing with innovation is, I mean, let's say uh, you can look at some uh, single-player games where, you know, they gave uh, companies gave uh, people the creators uh, like unlimited reign, and they just could not stop themselves from going constantly changing their game, changing their game, changing their game. Yeah, just that's the classic thing. That's why I like pure art never works. Neither as pure business never works. You always need right. a good combination of it. That's why a good if you really want to make an MMO. In today's market, you're going to say, like, you want to innovate. You're going to need a shockingly big budget to start with. You're going to need to have a business person in charge, an art person that's leading them, and those two people need to be, like, on the same page. Like, they need to understand what each other want and what each other needs and when to call back each other or when to back each other. And that combination is going to be extraordinarily rare to find ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, because especially at this point, we've seen time and time again that uh, business wins. <laughs> business wins the conversation in the end because if it doesn't make sense, uh, it doesn't make dollars or whatever the, 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 the statement is, or <laughs> that old saying. And that obviously is very much true in such a volatile market as uh, MMORPGs. So I want to go ahead and move into my uh, next segment, the call-in segment of the podcast. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, this is when you can... Join Discord, ask me any question. Uh, you can give me a hot take. You can respond to anything that I've said during the podcast or any points that I've make, I, uh, made. Sorry, I've also, uh, I have one here that's already kind of saved. That's from uh, Rafnar Kaldun, one of my patrons. He couldn't be here today. He had to work. But I've got his little things here, which is an interesting topic slash question as well. So to open the floor to anybody, you can at me on Twitch or you can join the podcast lobby and uh, ask me a question if you'd like to. Hello, uh, Savinka. I think that's how I pronounce that name. I always forget. I'll go ahead and start with the first one that I've got here if I, if I have to. Uh, once again, everyone at me, at Nerdslayer in Twitch chat, if you guys are watching live, or message me. So the point that Rafnar called on wanted to bring up, he says, ideas for next Six Pixels Under podcast. Thoughts on future MMO ideas, I pose this to you. Named NPC permadeath, openly killing an, a named NPC causes major standings hit with the NPC faction allied factions. The NPC may never truly be replaced, though other NPC may take over that niche that that NPC field, filled. And this is actually a concept that I've mentioned a little bit offhand. But something that I, I'm really, really surprised we haven't seen more of it. And so to build kind of like the historical backing here, 
There have been games in the past that have made it a very big focus to make NPCs a present part of the game and a very active part of the game. We've seen that in uh, Tabula Rasa, which came out ages ago at this point, I believe 05, 06. Tabula Rasa used to have uh, NPCs that could take over camps. And if you didn't uh, repel them, they legit would take over the camp. So it would change the la- the landscape of the game. Now, ultimately, unfortunately, it was rather repetitive <laughs> and wasn't any more in-depth than that. But for that time, that was quite uh, innovative, in my opinion. And we've seen Wildstar do it to some extent with their, uh, I believe it's called the, is it the, was it the science branch of their exploration branch? I can't remember, but it was the one that you could actually add uh, parts of a settlement for example, like something that could give you buffs or whatever else. Basically, it was kind of like a cheap gimmick to some extent. But we haven't really seen MMOs att- attempt to really capture the idea that the NPCs, uh, whatever they may be, orcs, goblins, whatever, are a persistent and ever-present threat of the game. We haven't really seen that that often. And it's interesting to think about, right? Like I, I think Rafnar brings up a good point here that... It's weird that in 2018, we haven't seen more on that front. And, and, and to bring up an example of what I mean, imagine if you can get, this is kind of like the concept that we've mentioned last week or the week before that in regards to dynamic AI. Imagine if you can get an AI that's at least intelligent enough to know when to attack or be told to attack a settlement, but also take that settlement over and then claim it as one of their uh, NPC settlements. This could obviously very easily change the scope of the game and it's also, it could be something that's done not by players, but, but by NPCs. And maybe a player could set the attack, right? Thinking like maybe the most recent um, Warfront features and wow, maybe you could kind of do something similar to that to some extent, uh, which has been done uh, in regards to ESOs, open world PvP. They kind of do something like that. So does Guild Wars 2 where you have to get resources and build little things and whatever else. that They end up being kind of half-baked, obviously, because they're basically just giant arenas. But what what do you guys think about that uh, in regards to the NPCs kind of taking over? Obviously, what Rafnar said in regards to having a uh, NPC that can be killed who was maybe some sort of leader, I think that's a great idea. Unfortunately... I feel like you're going to have to offer a lot of restrictions to that because obviously people are going to be willing to troll. <laughs> I mean, come on. At this point, we know somebody's going to be like, I'll just suicide my account to kill this important guy. And then that kind of just like cheapens the whole experience. Any 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 thoughts, Card or Doom Black Dragon about that, that whole concept? Well, uh, as I mentioned in chat, like this is actually a concept they've been talking about for doing it in Star Citizen. Which, of course, like everybody's going to rage on that again, but hey, I love it. No, go ahead and explain. The point is, uh, for me, it's like, as you said, you can do it, but you need to ensure that the consequences are there, which nicely ties in, as, we, as you talked about last week, is meaningful consequences in MMOs. If the consequences are done well, then you can put in a system like this. Of course, yeah, like, you'll have some people that will maybe suicide their account into that, but you also got to take into account how easy is it going to be to kill that NPC. Like right. in a fantasy world, a boss NPC generally, you know, to kill them is relatively easy. But if you're looking at, say, if you're going to make a game that's completely open world where you don't have like instances and stuff like, you know, if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to kill the admiral of the UE Navy, he's likely going to be on board a massively fortified uh, space station with like two fleets 
of Navy uh, ships around them, and you're just a bunch of players. Are you ever going to get the means to kill this person? Yep. So it's going to be really hard, and the consequences could be really extreme for it. So I think you can do it, but you need to do it well. Yeah, not to mention, I, I don't think it's totally out of the question to give the onus to the players to, to command uh, NPCs. Like, say, for example, if your uh, guild is part of the Orc faction or whatever in this case, or the, the Vanu faction, whatever faction we, we create in our minds, uh, it, it, there's a lot of incentive for you to want to lead the NPCs to go do these types of things because you benefit directly from them. You get more bind points or whatever. You get more territory control, possibly more buffs. Uh, maybe you get like a more strategic um, footing in maybe like an aggressive or hostile lands. Maybe it just gives you more resources, something that Camelon Unchained has talked about in regards to like zones giving you resources. There's a lot of aspects that have yet to be kind of fully explored in this regard. And it kind of really makes me think about the idea of a dynamic war, not just a war that's that's for looks, right? When we look at Warhammer Online, I think we can all say that Warhammer Online, because of the Warhammer franchise mainly, but it does a great job of making you feel like you're in a war, right? That's like the very like crux of the game. But Warhammer Online had a lot of problems, uh, obviously tech limitations and such, but but its main problems are probably based around the fact that although it talks about being a war, it's not really a war. And that's really what my problem with, is with, with uh, Battle for Azeroth. I don't want to spoil it because I'm making a video on it. But ultimately, the crux comes down to, if you guys remember whenever... WoW first announced BFA, BlizzCon 2017, oh, yeah. when they were talking about what they were going to offer, they had the slides. I remember they popped these slides up on screen. It's like, gather resources, build structures, defend, attack uh, other, you know, da -da. it's like, wow, that sounds amazing. And then you realize it's all instanced and that's the war front. And you're just like, oh, it's, it's a giant disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's also, it's a disappointment in two on two fields actually because it's a disappointment as in you don't feel like it's a war because it isn't sorry but right. it's also a disappointment like again you know, if you're talking about the consequences it's all instant so whatever i do there is zero consequence to it right you so can't feel why? the consequence of somebody else's decision and what i mean by that is let's say you're a high-ranking member in the orc faction you send your npc army to go attack this one base but you weren't considering that they would have defenses, right? And so they get wiped. That's a that's a huge blow to your forces, right? Maybe you lose faction points because of that. Maybe you lose the resources it required to go make that attack, right? You as a leader who just sent his soldiers off to go fight this battle who lost, not only do you face those consequences, but here's the best part about it. Everybody else does too. <laughs> and now they're all pissed at you, right? Because you were the leader and you led them astray. And so, like, that kind of interaction and conflict and constant conflict doesn't happen in these games. And so when they talk about the Battle for Azeroth or Warhammer Age of Reckoning, like, they're not really getting across the type of vision that they, that they really want to get across, in my opinion. Uh, they're, I, they're limited in many ways. I, I have an idea. I mean, so did you guys ever play Vanilla well? Yep. You yep. remember... Um, uh, the um old of Audi uh AV Rathi Valley or whatever it's called Alteric Valley yeah you remember how you used to have to go collect resources from like either uh the mines or had to kill players to collect blood and stuff 
to summon the big ultimate bosses. And if you use them incorrectly, you just wasted all that time and energy on that. Right. And it was also kind of like time things. Like, for example, you could uh, bring certain resources to one part and you could use that as like a minor quest to possibly help you in Alteric Valley that that, that NPC would assist you or whatever else. Like little things like that. And and it's funny to think about that Alteric Valley was so ahead of its time in that re- regard, right? Like they they had the idea of maybe how to create a constant conflict, except obviously it was done in an instance form. Now we can take that idea, expand it greatly, and then put it in an open world. I mean, now we have like like we've been saying, consequence and actual uh, a, an actual dynamic war, something that really feels like a war. And I don't think. The great thing about this idea to me, the whole NPC idea, is this is the perfect way to marry both PvE and PvP content, which is something that I personally have been searching for for so long. I've always wanted more ways to marry PvE and PvP players together, partly because uh, I think PvE players are hilarious whenever they get angry about such things, <laughs> but more so, selfish reasons aside, more so it's because that's just more realistic, right? Like whenever we were living back in the... I don't know, ancient times or whatever. We had PvP, but most of the time we were surviving, right? We are surviving against the elements, the the animals, the w- whatever else is around us, right? Our, our environment. It was a big part of that survivement, uh, surviving, sorry. But player versus environment, it's kind of like a misnomer for me. Because in many cases, it's more like player versus like particular instance environment. It's not really the environment as a whole. But if we can create an environment as a whole that, I mean... Eve is a perfect example that basically lives off of conflict and create a game uh, design or, or design our game, sorry, around that idea. Well, then now we have something, right? Now we can create NPC towns that can be taken over by other NPCs. Or now we can create a faction that actually has a reason to attack another faction, right? And possibly, like we were saying earlier, like Rafnar brought up, maybe there's a faction leader that can be killed but can also be appointed or another leader can be appointed after that, right? Maybe a general of an army or something like that. And one thing I brought up uh, in a couple uh, podcasts ago was was the idea of dynamic mobs and dynamic AI. I mentioned that a little bit briefly, but to expand on what I'm saying, you don't even need to go all out and have dynamic AI. You can just have what's called roaming AI, right? If you can have AI that roams as a group together that knows how to stay within certain zones so it doesn't just like constantly like, start war (laughs) to some extent right and like go into other people's territories but here's the great thing if it does cross over into another territory let's say you have a scouting party the scouting party is like six npcs and they're on mounts and they're really fast what if that scouting party could be spot by or spotted by another scouting party of another faction and that information could be relayed back to players or back to the npc factions which could then create more content And, and then you you add on top of that the idea that that scouting party could be attacked by a player, right? And maybe they get some type of plan or, or information from that scouting party. These are so many things that have been unexplored in the world of MMOs that makes it so exciting to talk and think about. Uh, but man, think about the possibilities of all of that. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about it. You know how like um, in uh, like uh, Guild Wars 2 uh, where the NPCs will capture a city or a settlement but then kind of not do anything? Right. What if, uh, you know, uh, your uh, armies of your, you know, let's say we're doing the PvP, PvE type deal, your armies don't grow naturally. 
they grow more like it. each city does like a tick of resources. And after so many resources, you gain a few soldiers. So the more cities you capture, the, more, the faster your army will grow. Right, exactly. And so that, that's what a, a very simple, easy to understand benefit would be as an innocent passerby who's part of the faction would think, well, if I go help in this, we'll get a better army, which means that I'm better off. Right, So it's very easy to just involve people in such a thing. It's just hilarious to think about that tribalism is this big thing that divides us as, as humanity. But we haven't uh, harnessed that in MMOs yet. <laughs> Not really. I mean, yeah, sure, we have Darkfall. We had Ultima. We had Eve. We have, like, every now, Dark Ages of Camelot, Shadowbane. We had some glimpses here and there, but just not to the full potential that we could possibly do. Uh, to just stop any of you for talking, <laughs> right now, uh, I'm going to go into the questions that uh, Staximus asked. Actually, I'll start with the Fuller Dark question. Um, Fuller Dark asked, uh, do you think there is a way to strike a balance between theme parks and sandbox MMOs? Of course, you guys can give me your thoughts after uh, I answer the question. So my opinion is yes. I mean, obviously, like I, I think the biggest examples of this, you can see it in Arcage and you can see it in Black Desert Online. I think Black Desert Online and Arcage, the reason why they're so popular as games, um, besides being kind of like the only like big graphical experience games that, that have like these action kind of combat styles uh, in the market right now, like besides that they operate in somewhat of a niche, I think it's more so because they have what I would describe as like a, a sand park vibe to them, right? They have open-ended features to them, trade routes, uh, crafting systems, such like that, right? But they also have very theme park aspects to them. Grind quests. Uh, I mean, basically, most of the game is a grind quest, <laughs> if you think about it, especially in the case of Black Desert Online. It's m more so just about grinding, which is really, to me... Grinding as a forms of or as a form of progression is more so a theme park thing than a sandbox thing. Because when you grind in the sandbox, you usually have a reason that's greater than I just want to increase my character's power level, right? You need resources, uh, role play reasons, whatever else, right? There's a lot more considerations that go into it. And and in the case of like Eve Online, there's a lot of economical reasons as well. What what, what do you guys think about? striking a balance between a theme park and sandbox MMO. I mean, obviously we know it's possible, but do you think like, I guess why isn't it done more often would be kind of one of my like side questions, but yes. also uh, go ahead. I, I think the, when you're looking at combining your theme park and your sandbox, there there's a lot of balancing to be struck. Like you need to make sure that the boats uh, sort of gameplay is actually incentivized uh, to roughly even equal level and that also they supplement each other like you need your uh, team park players you know your as we in, as we, if you're looking at evil nine your pve care bears you need those players because you need the miners you need the machine runners because you need the items and the materials that they generate in order to fuel your pvp stuff what i often don't see in others is that you don't see the the PvE stuff being all that much affected by the PvEP stuff. So a lot of uh, like sure there are mining areas, for example, in Eve Online that you that have been walls have been fallen over them. But over time, players start to realize, well, why are we going to bother with this? Because if we just say like you can mine a piece there, we can mine a piece there, we just trade the materials between each other and we're coming out ahead. So it has to do a lot of with incentivizing players. You need to incentivize people to do certain things. 
Because if you don't have enough incentives to start fighting each other, at some point, either what will happen is people just say, Let, let's stop fighting each other. Or what also can happen is that people start to, you know, some people start to do that and slowly larger groups form and they start to just take over because there's no incentive for anybody to stop them anymore. At that point, it's easier to join them than to fight them. I think that's the trick in the balancing between making a you know, combination between the two work. And we all know how hard game balancing is and how well players will always find the easy ways and the tricks and all of that. Exactly. Yeah, I guess kind of bring it back to the question at hand a little bit, um, the idea of what's something that I would change, or sorry, that's Staximus's question. Uh, if I think that there's a way to balance between the two uh, genres of MMOs, to fully answer that question, like obviously yes is the short answer, but my long answer would be that I ultimately think it's a bit of a... It's kind of, I don't want to say contradictory, but I think it kind of works against itself. And what I mean by that is that when you go, let's say like uh, to use the simple examples of sand park, sandbox, blah, blah, blah. So theme park, right? You go to a theme park, you go to Six Flags, whatever theme park you're going to in your country. There's rides. It's all tailored, right? They say, go this way, get into this ride. It's fun. You have great fun and you have great fun immediately. You don't have to figure out any of the fun. Now you go to a, an, an actual sandbox, right? And you have tools there, but nothing is actually created. So you need to use those tools in order to have fun. Now, a sand park to me, which is what I would call the hybrid between the two, the problem with it is that it certainly has some of those rides and cool slides and whatever else that you can um, you know, participate in that's very kind of mindless content or whatever else. But for me, the sand ends up being so lackluster, right? The actual open-ended part of the game you realize that because it was inherently built to be some type of like hybrid title, ultimately you're going to be limited in what you can actually do or how you can actually affect the game. Oh. It's, are you not always going to be limited? Because you're talking always the limitation of any sort of a game. So Yeah, well, it's, that's a good point to make. Like You're always going to be limited to some extent, but you're going to be even more limited by the framework of you trying to operate in some kind of like hybrid game like in between these two different ideas and 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 i think ultimately a theme park game and a sandbox game are at their clash they clash with each other yeah i I would probably say that ultimately i think think if one final thing sorry doom i know i'll let you i I think if you're saying 50 50 they would clash but i think if you're looking like a 75 25 percent sort of balancing between the two then then you can start taking things to work either way but yeah you're always going to sacrifice something i i think a kind of a better way to do it is more like how um i I know i've talked about neverwinter in the past before but i'm going to bring it up again but the player made dungeons where you know the devs pretty much gave the gamers the entire kit to basically design the entire game and there's been some really well-designed uh, instances that the players have made. I mean, granted, yeah, I, it's an it's an instance thing, but it is still kind of sandboxy when you think about it, where you are giving the players the, the tools to tailor them. It just kind of would be more broken off into separate sections from the theme park. 
Right. Yeah. It's more like a side affair. I mean, in a weird way, it's almost like a ride itself, right? Like the the sandbox part of the of the sand park, so to say, is almost like part of the ride itself. So, like that's kind of where I agree with what Card said in regards to like if it's going to exist, it's certainly going to be slanted one way or the other. Because if you're if you're going to try and fifty fifty down the middle, you just can't do it, right? Because because the difference between putting the onus on the developer to create content. And the onus on the player, it's just like a, to me, it's such a catastrophic difference. It's so different in the, in the way that the developers approach it, but also players approach it. I think um, a final thing, and that's generally the problem also that a lot of sandbox uh, games face, is a lot of players don't want to create the stuff. This is something I'm starting to notice more and more from certain other areas and hobbies that I do. You see a lot of players and people that just want to, they want a part of the team park. They want to get that entertainment factor. They want to get in there. They want to get an entertainment factor there, right there and then. The amount of players that actually have that creative desire, because you need to have some sort of creative desire to work within right. a sandbox environment. Right. It's just a lot more limited. And also those players who do have that, they all have such so many different sorts of tastes and things that they want this to an actual to be so it's really really tricky to make to make enough of those players happy i think in some ways uh this is kind of one of my biggest criticisms of the sandbox uh genre itself like a subgenre you would say of mmos is that really sandboxes do a really poor job of equipping new players and and i mean that in a in a multitude of ways like to equip them to learn how to play the game, to equip them to know uh, what to look for in the game, or or what would even be considered like a, a, a like a thing that they could have fun doing, you know, like that's like kind of what you're saying in regards to creativity. If you don't know that, like say for example, Stars Galaxies, if you don't know that when you go to uh, say for example Moss Eisley and you're in the Katina, that that's a big you know social hub. If you don't know that in the game, the game will feel very dead to you. Because you'll be on Naboo chilling and you're like, wait a minute, why is there no one on Naboo? But you don't actually understand that, well, the hub is on Mos Eisley, right? Or, or Restus or these other zones. You have to know where to go. And this is kind of where I think developers just do a really poor job of that. They do a poor job of explaining things to you. They do a poor job of kind of leading their players along. Because although I certainly like sandbox games, I think anyone can realize that at this point, I certainly like the more challenging games. I am not one of the purists. I am not a purist. I, I believe that we do need to bring up the people from below, right? And to to address kind of what Card was saying, let's say we have these players who are creating all of this content in our make-believe game that we just came up with, right? Uh, the one where you're trying to vie for territory and whatever else, and you're helping NPC camps, right? From From a normal player perspective, you have to think as a developer, how can we involve them into this process without making them have to have the onus completely on them? If you know what I'm saying, like to, without having to make it completely about them finding the action, what's a way that we can involve them in a very easy way? And I think easy ways of that are, are things like alerts, right? If you can alert the entire faction or the server, Hey, this activity is going on. Well, people can figure out, right? What's going on. They know what's going on on the map. Uh, this is, this was called a call to arms in uh, warhammer this was a concept that they did where uh, obviously it was like instance there you could just press a button and it would send you to wherever the battle was especially towards the end of the game as it started to have lower population it was obvious why they did such a thing 
But something like that that could basically alert people as to where the action is or currently is or why it's significant, right? And incentivize uh, faction leaders to want to bring people as well, right? To show up for the battles or whatever else. Obviously, Eve and, and different PvP games are experienced with this as well. But I think it's it's obviously a community effort at the end of the day. A sandbox game is always a community effort, and that's kind of the hard thing about them. But it's also, I think at this point, if a developer creates a sandbox and just says, well, players can create a village, but they just never did. Or players can create a hotel, but they never did. It's like... Then you did not incentivize them properly. Ex- exactly. That yeah. means that you as a developer... You can't use that excuse anymore. You can't just keep saying, well, players can do this and players haven't done this. And you see this all the time. Like developers say this all the time. It's like, no, no, no. Like you need to bridge the gap. (laughs) That's your job as the guy who makes the game. You need to find a way to involve those people and make them feel like they're empowered in some way. Because ultimately it comes down to being empowered, right? If you don't feel empowered, you don't know what to look. You have no clue what you could possibly be doing in the game. And you don't have the time, right? If you work, I don't know, 40, 50 hours a week, you're not going to look up a guide that's, you know, eight hours long of a video. And yes, these exist out there for like EverQuest, for example, and learn yeah. every single aspect of something. No, you you want to know, okay, how is this useful to me? And how is this going to make me have fun? That's what most people's like, uh, I guess, like concerns are, right? How am I going to have fun from this? And I think that there's a lot of ways to do that. But developers overall, especially in the sandbox genre, have been a little bit lazy. Like that's where we can really learn from theme park games for sure. Is like we can learn from theme park games and how do theme park games force interaction? How does Fortnite force battles, right? The smoke, right? Or the storm, they call it. Like that's an easy way to do it, right? Very brain dead way. How can we implement things like that in an MMORPG that would make people, for example, want to be in a given zone or not be in a given zone? Like there's so much to explore in that. And I think that we're just like scratching the surface of what we could possibly explore. Yeah, I think that's... It just comes down to like the one thing game developers have not been doing well enough, especially in the MMOs and sandbox, is is incentivizing. If you don't give you incentivize your bloody players, like don't assume effort, assume that people will just do things. There's right. no good reason for them to do it. Like if you want them to fight over that zone, tell them go fight in that zone. If you win, you're going to get this really cool piece of whatever the hell that is important in that game. Yeah, I think uh, Staximus mentioned in chat a good a good uh, way that I would put it is like a catch-up mechanic. This is one of the biggest problems you've seen in games like uh, EVE early on, like early EVE experiences and Darkfall, is you would have players who already have a year, two-year experience ahead of you. And in those, ga- in those games, sorry, that are like time-gated to some extent based on however long it takes to research a certain skill or whatever else, it basically comes to the point where it's like it's so hard for a new player to, to get up in, you know, in that experience and immediately feel useful. And now I don't believe that they should immediately be powerful, right? I still believe in progression, though there's different ways to do progression, vertical and horizontal. But I still think that player besides obviously they're just normal knowledge of the game should po- possibly have like an advantage obviously in resources or whatever else like I- i'm not saying do away with that and-, and everything becomes communism or something like that but i'm saying that there's certainly something that we can do right in order to bridge that gap for that new player whether it's uh oh new player joins the faction is is totally undergeared and under leveled but he can go join an rvr lake right or an rvr party or a um 
a raiding party, even if they're just killing NPCs and, and straggling players every now and then, right? Like this is still a way that he can interact and, and feel like he's useful in the battle. But that actually brings me up to another thing that I'd like to talk about some other time, which is like the concept of how can we make enough tasks in a game, especially a PvP focused game that's centered around like big factional warfare? How can we make small scale groups still useful? And in, in regards to space, we know very abundantly. Like we know we know this um, answer very easily because we've seen a lot of sci-fi examples and and space game examples, right? We can like a pirate group is only ever like one, two ships, right? It's it's not a big group of people. It's like I mean, unless they're like a pirate fleet, <laughs> like they might have a frigate or something or like a carrier or whatever else. But generally speaking, the pirate's going to be like a specialized vessel, right? Card. I mean, Card's the resident sci-fi guy, so I, w- I would assume you would agree. It's does surely depend on what you're doing, but then it comes down to uh, your investment versus your potential reward. And you can actually, like people say, how do you get it possible for smaller groups to be effective? It comes down to a couple of, uh, if you want to do it in a fantasy setting, what I would say is make zones where larger groups are not effective. In order to have that happen, you need to have things like a collision. Players cannot walk through each other. And things like friendly fire. As soon as you get if you get those two, you combine those with areas which are like just the terrain does not allow larger groups of players to be effective, like you know funnels and things like that. Like say make a forest, yep. uh, mountain passes, uh, you know caves and things like that. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you. Small group, a small group of players can be really effective in those kind of areas. So what what will happen is that the higher skill players will go towards those areas because a lot of the higher skill players, they tend to favor smaller fights because it shows in a small, the smaller the fight, the more individual skill starts to show. Exactly. So it actually also works as a gating mechanic. People will start out with the really large fights and they will, as they go better, they will tend to graduate towards the smaller fights. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it makes me think about the concept of uh, when, when it comes to finding activities for smaller groups to do, fighting can't be the only activity like crafting needs to be an activity exploration the, the rewards need right to be there. there needs to be incentive to want to scout there needs to be incentive to want to uh capitalize on on an economic downturn or upswing or whatever else right these incentives need to be placed into the game uh to to add a little bit of like i guess personal experience uh working on the rustfall project rustfall recently we just did like a medieval conversion and what we found uh, through developing Rustfall is that even if you tell players, hey, you can do all of these things and it's totally able for them to do all of those things, guess what? They won't do it. They them. won't do it. <laughs> they won't do it. So to some extent, you as a developer need to, need to start to wonder, okay, when does this become negligence or just like leave it up to the players because it's a sandbox game? Like you, you have to find that kind of balance. And, and in our case, for example, as we're starting to introduce custom monuments into the game, we have ways of actually showing like NPC towns or villages or whatever else that players could possibly benefit from. Maybe they have loot in them. Maybe they have a place to stay, to sleep. Maybe there's a storm. Maybe it's dark out. They can just hide inside the structure for just a little bit of time. Things like that, right? But other things that are, fut- you know, like for the future are playing like an inn, right? We'd love to have an inn that's, protected by npcs run by npcs which can be totally attacked just as as we want to have a bank that can be attacked and looted but it should be very very difficult to do such obviously um 
Uh, I think for those kinds of uh, simple tutorials actually come into play as well. It's like if you want to get people to attack towns, for example, give them a tutorial to attack a farm, you know, in which they do it and they get rewards from it. And then you can notice them, well, you see, you can attack a farm, so you can get certain rewards, but it's going to be a lot bigger rewards, for example, if you can get a few players together, you can perhaps attack that town. Right, exactly. And then that, that just, that'll come with time, exposure, and also developers taking the time to really focus on their tutorials and, and their new player experience, the MPE, which is likely one of the most important things in an MMO period. Um, to get to the next question, uh, this is asked by Staximus, longtime watcher, lurker of the channel and uh, podcast. What's something you'd like to change to the typical theme park MMO in-game experience that would make it more palatable to you? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's actually a really hard question. Um, I think ultimately for me, it comes down to if I can play a theme park game, if it's challenging or rewarding from a gameplay perspective. And, and to bring up an example, I can play Dota, right? And enjoy playing Dota because Dota is very challenging. And I know that when I lose in Dota, it's because I'm bad. There's no other reason, right? I don't blame my team. I don't blame the, the champ. I don't blame the hero. I'm bad, right? Generally speaking, it's one of those games that you can equally or easily be like, I'm just, I just suck. That's the reason why I'm not doing well. So like, that's kind of my, my thought process in regards to like a theme park MMO. For example, I love uh, many theme park MMOs. Global Agenda is one of my favorite games. That game is a theme park MMO true and true. But it had challenging gameplay. It had uh, 5v5 like arenas. It also had uh, AVA, which was Alliance versus Alliance. It had some level of territory control, even if it was arena-based. Like There's ways to make the gameplay uh, rewarding enough to where the gameplay itself is the thing that you want to focus most on. And that's basically what MOBAs are, right? I mean, MOBAs are just focused on the gameplay. They're just focused on the fighting. There's no like long-term progression other than maybe you like get another skin or another hero or whatever else if you're playing League of Legends. Ultimately, there really isn't progression, long-term progression in Dota 2 other than your rank, right? Like your your feedback loop of trying to get better at the game. So ultimately speaking, that's probably what my argument would be is like if a theme park MMO has a challenging enough PvE or PvP experience that rewards players just based on the gameplay alone and also uh, maybe going up a ladder and getting better at the game, that's what would make me want to play an in-game in an MMO. But if you're going to talk about open world PvP, it just doesn't work in a theme park game. It just doesn't work. Like the, there isn't an example of a theme park MMO that has like really good open world PvP. It just unfortunately just doesn't work. But um, hey, you guys have any thoughts about that? I have to agree on the PvP note. As for the what makes it palatable, like you, what you describe pretty much is a sounds like a theme park MMO without pretty much a leveling system. Like you're you want to focus purely on your gameplay. If you want to look at this from a perspective, like you have a theme park MMO where you have a full on leveling system. As I've been actually trying to uh, work on some stuff regarding with World of Warcraft on that, uh, make some video on that. Is you're looking at a progression that needs to feel that needs to feel meaningful, which is something I find when I'm looking at World of Warcraft, which is the easiest example for me because the most recent I've been playing, it's not there. Like it's totally not there. There's no challenge to it, and there's also as a result no reward to it. 
Right. That's how it feels when you play that game. That's so a good if you point. Want to make it, if you want to make it interesting and fun, you need to give the, the challenge needs to be there and the reward needs to be there. Like if you have all World of Warcraft has so many dungeons and even all the raids that you could convert if you wanted to, but like make them actually challenging again. Because these days, if you run a dungeon when you're leveling up, like a lot of people just still spam dungeons, I do as well. It's all about go, 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 kill, kill, kill. It doesn't matter because we, right. you're not going to die. Let's go ahead and get to the next LFG. You know, it's like, let's let's get this over with. And when you got that guy who's unruly and you don't think he's worth the time, you're just like, screw it, I'll just leave. Like, you, you don't even want to have to deal with it. It becomes like yeah. the challenge isn't there. Uh, the reward isn't there. So let's just like get this over with as fast as you can. I mean, that's honestly a really good point. Something that I'd like to add uh, to my opinion of it, which is basically that. At the end of the day, if it's not rewarding, right? Gameplay perspective, reward perspective, um, whether you get you know a rank or some type of like gear piece or whatever, if it's not rewarding, I mean the theme park game just isn't going to work. And I think the problem that we we've seen, I think with BFA to some extent, is that as the difficulty level of even just the base level content kind of it's skewed more and more into the easy uh, realm or the realm of easy games or easy content. It, it makes the rewards that much worse and, and not matter that much more. And so it's kind of like yeah. the most difficult thing about a theme park MMO is that the developers have to wow you basically every, every expansion, right? Or do enough to wow you. If the core gameplay is good enough, that's, it, it's funny enough in a weird way. We haven't really seen a game like that that has such good gameplay. That's also a theme park game. I mean, like, across all aspects. And to bring up an example, in a different genre, right? I think we can all remember fondly the Star Wars game uh, Jedi Academy, right? It's one of the more popular action games, probably one of the most uh, famous of all time. If you had to make a list, it'd probably be top 25, top 50, right? It's it's really well known because it's, like, basically the first physics-based uh, Star Wars game that we've played, right? Where you can actually, like slice your uh lightsaber in a certain angle and maybe get an instant kill or only just barely touch your opponent right depending on how you swing it and the reason why i love to bring up uh jedi academy as an example is that even today if i go and jump on the game the gameplay is still rewarding because in my opinion gameplay takes the longest to age i really think it does i think gameplay can be timeless like, sure, people are going to say story. I think story is up there, but it's hard to get a story of that quality. I mean, for example, I read old Agatha Christie all the time, and I'm just like, this was great, like, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, stories age, I feel like, very quickly. But gameplay, I mean, Academy is, uh, at this point, 14 years old. Star Wars, uh, or sorry, StarCraft 1 is how how old at this point? 20 years or something? And people still play that game and still like the gameplay of that game. Like it's like <laughs> gameplay takes so long to age, and and really at the end of the day, we haven't had an MMO hey, period thanks. that's just had a really good guy. gameplay. I'm good at or, shooting or a theme people, park game that's had really good gameplay with my hands. That the developers after each expansion just basically have to be like, here's a little bit of new stuff, but the gameplay is enough to carry it on. We just don't really see yeah. that. And that's also a problem with MMOs. It's like look for example with World of Warcraft. The amount of lore that's in that game. If you're a new player, like if any new player, if you're gonna play World of Warcraft, my advice is ignore your level caps and all of that. You know, go for that lore because it's amazing. You can experience all of that, and it's great. But if you've done it once, 
you've done it. And that's the point with the story. Like you can have a really, really excellent story. And I love my stories. But once you've done the story, you've done it. You can never go back and experience that story the same way. However, if somebody made a game with really good gameplay, I can go back to that gameplay every single time and experience it the same way. Right. Because it's a constant. It's always going to feel good. But if with that story, I can, if I read a book, I can read it three years later and I can, in my mind, I know exactly what's on the next page. That's yeah. not going to happen with your gameplay. Yep. I, I agree. I, especially like um, when you think about uh, more dynamic kind of action style gameplays. I mean, that really adds that extra level of just you have no clue what what could, what could possibly happen, right? When I think about playing uh, a game, you know, <laughs> anytime you even mention Star Citizen, you just get people angry. But if I could mention an idea like Star Citizen, it could be X4, it could be X3, any type of space sim style game that's on some sort of massive scale or at least trying to be on some sort of massive scale. There's just so many other variables that come into play, right? When you introduce physics into a game. Like there's, okay, I can shoot this gun from far away, but can I actually land on my target? <laughs> like, yeah, my projectile carries this distance, you know, 150 or 500 meters, 1,000 meters, whatever. But can I actually accurately hit my target, right? Physics just makes so many gameplay things like that much more interesting for me because you really have to take into consideration the geometry, right? The math behind things. Like everything into, and that's, and especially in space, and that's why... A lot of people, myself included, are really upset at the current state in which the gameplay is in Star Citizen in regards to space combat. Like slow shifts, close range weapons that are just like the range of them is silly. Like you're in fucking space. Like remove those limits. Because right. if I'm going to shoot at somebody that's stationary at 10 kilometers away, yes, he should get hit because he's an idiot for sitting still. If he just decided to move at one meter a second, I aimed at the center mass, I will miss. Right, even if even if you're traveling at a certain speed, because that's the way, yeah. like you know, uh, geometry works. <laughs> yeah, like there, yeah. there's a reason why this quote in Mass Effect is so well known. It's like Sir Isaac Newton is the most dangerous son of a bitch in space. It's true. It comes down to that, yep. and that's what makes space combat interesting. Is that it's not just about point and shoot. Now it's about thinking: Is there any sense in shooting this target? Or maybe I can shoot him because I think he's going to be there. Right. Especially when you take into consideration that what if it slows down or drains your battery in some way? Those are other things that you have to take into consideration, right? You can't just like, yeah. theoretically in a real ship, you can't just sit there and fire endlessly at somebody. Like you, you have ammo, you have ammunition, especially if you're using like a torpedo or some type of ion gun or whatever else. Like you have a charge. Like there's... There's other ramifications for you just like endlessly firing. And we've totally <laughs> gone off topic, but I do this all the time. So I don't blame you guys. I blame myself. Uh, I don't think we have any other questions. So I think that's basically reaching the end of this podcast. I, th I want to thank uh, everybody for watching, obviously. And mo mostly I want to thank first uh, Card and Doom Black Dragon for introducing some more conversation and comments into things. And obviously today was a quiet day. We didn't get a lot of people to call in today. I think um, maybe it's uh, Canadians are taking off their holiday today. So all of my fans are Canadians. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think uh, ultimately speaking, you guys in chat who are lurking, and I see you guys. I see you lurking. You can ask me questions, right? You can at me on Twitch. You don't have to join Discord. I get it. You might be a little bit shy. Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you're at work. 
but uh, you can always message me something. <laughs> don't worry, we don't bite. Exactly, we don't bite. Uh, I'm, I'm it's not hard. Yeah, exactly. Not not hard enough to draw blood. Uh, I, I'm gonna do my final little bit of sellout. Um, to drop any of my links, uh, of course, my YouTube channel should be uh, front and center for those who haven't. If you've somehow discovered me without watching my content, first off, that's really cool because I didn't think that would be possible <laughs> at this point. But if you if you haven't uh, seen my content, then by all means, go to my YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Nerd Slayer G is my uh, tag. Of course, on Discord, our uh, Discord is or it's uh, Discord gg slash nerdslayer i believe i believe we even have our unique uh url let me let me try that and make sure i think that's how it, or it's dot com i think let me see slash nerdslayer should still work it gives you a splash image or it, maybe it is dot gg right, I, I, I need to make sure this this dang link is working because as a partner i should have my own link um so I have to figure that out. But anyway, the, the, the Discord's in chat. Uh, it's all over the place. You can find the link just about anywhere. If you're not already a part of the Discord, I would do that. Um, I probably give the most updates on my Discord as well as uh, correspondence with my actual audience, asking questions, suggestions, all that sort of stuff. Other things to get to before I um, end the podcast, of course, are if um, you haven't heard or haven't seen my Patreon before, I would go check that out. Um, slash nerd slayer it's also linked somewhere um obviously there's like things like merchandise that you can look at as well if you're interested in any of that and then most importantly i wanted to talk about before we left today one of our biggest goals right and currently speaking if you look at uh, that little black bar beneath kind of where this window is it says 16 out of 50 sub goal podcast in noir or a detective outfit I haven't been advertising this as much, and I think that that makes me a bad streamer because most streamers advertise these sorts of things whenever they have goals. But uh, basically, once that hits 50, that means that from now on, even if it dips below 50 at that point, I will start wearing a costume for every podcast. So <laughs> this is my way of motivating myself to want to do it and sweat my ass off last week or uh, every week, I should say. But yes, to answer your question, Limpos, it was 22 last week because uh, people who uh, apply for Twitch membership, or sorry, a channel subscription with their Twitch Prime, it expires every month and you have to reapply it. So likely we've lost a few people who didn't reapply their Twitch subscriptions. But if you haven't used your Twitch, uh, Twitch Prime yet, you know, I'm going to ask you if you can use it on my stuff so I can actually get to the point to where I have 50 subs and I can start wearing the Noir uh, outfit, detective outfit, whatever you want to call it. Maybe a, maybe a hat, maybe not. Maybe a three-piece. We'll see. I'm still figuring out because I don't want to sweat to death in here. It's already hot in this room as it, as it is now. Also, I'm going to have another goal after 50. So it's not like I'm only going to ever have one goal. I'm, I'm going to constantly try and have more sub goals. I'll probably just put them at 50 or, or in, um, in uh, groups of 50. So 50, 100, 150, etc. At 100, I was thinking maybe we could do... Um, karaoke or something funny or stupid but uh, we're working on it <laughs> we'll find more ways to get you guys uh interested in giving me your money uh because that's what i have to do this is my career right no but uh twitch is like the easiest way to support me because most people at this point in life have an amazon prime membership right or are using amazon prime if you're not already applying it to somebody else 
you should apply it to me. Um, but anyway, we're currently at 16 out of 50. So I'm going to work on you guys until we can get that to 50. And um, I think that'll definitely spice up the podcast. You guys will get to see me sweating my ass off uh, in a three-piece suit, possibly. Maybe even maybe even a hat. Maybe we take the hat off because I kind of like my hair. I don't know if I want to mess it up in a hat. Uh, but anyway, that's that's the end of the podcast. I'm a little bit tired today. I almost always are. I'm tired on Mondays. I feel like Sundays are Saturdays and Sundays are like my craziest days. I, I typically feel that way, but Monday is as well. Like we we still haven't put out our video uh, this week. Which, speaking of which, time to crack the whip. I'm just kidding. But I want to thank everybody for taking the time to stop by and watch the podcast on the 8th of October. I appreciate that. I appreciate your support. Uh, I appreciate those who watch my YouTube videos and join the Discord and chat with me. I appreciate your questions, as always. And uh, this is the best time, I think, to stop the podcast. Sometimes we rant a little bit after. But today, it feels like good to end it early for once. So, yes, I, I do thank my subscribers, uh, Genesee. Thank you. Came in late. We'll have to watch it on YouTube. Yeah, by all means. watch. Uh, this will be uploaded to SoundCloud, as always, and uploaded to YouTube as well. So, yes, thank you for stopping by. I am Nerdslayer, your host. This is Six Pixels Under. This is episode, is it five? Yeah, episode five now. I know I'm like trying to act like I'm forgetting what episode it is. I just genuinely forget things in general. So, it's, it's like, not like I'm trying to be like, oh, we've had so many episodes. I forgot all of them. Now, we're episode five now. We're slowly chugging along. We're getting better, uh, I think, week by week. And that's the end goal. So, yeah, thank you for stopping by to watch the podcast. I'm Nerdslayer. This is Six Pixels Under. Goodbye.